Hey everyone, before you dive into this week's teaching from Pastor Chris, we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. If you find this podcast to be encouraging or helpful in growing deeper in your faith, would you take a few seconds and share it with someone? They too could be needing the very same thing that you received. Again, thanks for listening and we pray that you have a wonderful day. We are excited today to jump back in and continue in our Masterclass series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I don't know if you guys know what Masterclass is or what it's about, but it's this online education platform that you can take classes, you can watch from the masters of those in their field themselves. So you can learn from Gordon Ramsay on how to per- cook the perfect omelet or steak. You can, you can learn from the art of negotiation from a former FBI hostage negotiator. You can learn how to shoot a basketball from Steph Curry. You can learn anything that you want from probably the person in that field or in that area of expertise, screenwriting from some of the best in Hollywood, movie making. Um, I would think you'd want to learn from Steven Spielberg, um, but I think they got somebody else in there teaching that class. But it's pretty amazing uh, magic from Penn and Teller. It's it's really cool, this, this platform. And so we were talking about wanting to jump into Sermon on the Mountain. We realized that Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us a masterclass on life. And uh, so last week, Pastor Andre shared with us talking about the kingdom of God and how at times we feel like the kingdom of God is upside down when compared to the world. But the reality is, as the kingdom of God is actually right side up and the world itself is actually upside down. And Pastor Andre did a great job walking through that. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go check it out on our website. You can always watch our services and sermons the following week and catch up from those before. But today we're going to jump into part three of this. And, and Jesus himself, after talking through adultery and divorce and oaths and eye for an eye and love for enemies, and we've done beatitudes and salt and light and murder and hate and all these things, Jesus jumps into this section to talk about some spiritual disciplines. This, the first of which Jesus talks about is giving to the needy. And talking about providing for those out of the abundance that we have been provided and caring for others. And then Jesus moves into a time talking about prayer. And then he moves into a time of talking about fasting. Today, we're going to be focused on prayer and fasting. Specifically here, Jesus teaches the disciples and those gathered what we commonly know in the church as the Lord's Prayer. You guys, maybe if you grew up in the church, you've been around the church, you probably know the Lord's Prayer or you've heard it said before. Maybe you have it memorized. Um, But Jesus here takes us in a masterclass on what it means to pray. And he sets up this structure of how to pray. And that leads us right into Jesus talking about fasting, because prayer and fasting are directly connected to one another. Before we jump in, I want to pray for us, and then I want to read Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for opportunity to gather together, God, that we can still worship you, even though we might not have a live band with us. But God, that you are still glorified. God, that that praise to you of our singing together and worship, you see just the same as weeks prior. And God, you are an incredibly gracious and loving God. 
And Jesus, we pray that our praise may be different, but that would still be an honoring offering to you today. So Jesus, I pray that your your words would speak to us, that you said to your disciples thousands of years ago, but that would be ever so relevant to us even today. We thank you, Jesus, for being able to even just be here together. God, let us not forget what happened just short time ago and to not take that granted of being able to gather together. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, Matthew, starting in verse 5 of chapter 6, says this. It says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you do pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they, they will be heard because of their many, many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others or other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So when I began to plan this series out and working with Pastor Andre and and knowing that I was going to be preaching on the Lord's Prayer, I began to think, what can be said? What can, what, what can be said of the Lord's Prayer that has already been said by Jesus himself? And, I, and, and it's, it's something that I, I feel like some preachers get into, is they always try to get creative. They always try to get out of the box or cute or try to come up with something special to say about some of this stuff. But, but I don't want to do that today. I don't want to get caught up in that, but I want to honor the words of Jesus. I want to honor what Jesus has already said and clearly laid out for us. So instead of that, I, I, I kind of want to dig into a little bit more of what's going on in the culture in that day and age of which Jesus is teaching these people how to pray. In that day and time, as we read here in the scripture, there was two big people groups. The first of which were the, uh, the spiritual elite, as they called themselves, the Pharisees, or as Jesus refers to them here in scripture, hypocrites. And, and these people specifically would let everybody else know how special they are. They wanted you to know how many 
how much understanding they had, that they had the whole Old Testament memorized, that they could pull out a Bible verse at any moment for any occasion and have the perfect answer in the Jewish world, that they could, they could recite for you things that you never even thought or knew that were even in the Bible itself. They had every answer to every question, everything laid out absolutely perfect. And they knew it. And they wanted everybody around them to know how special that they were. So it would be common to find these people dressed in a certain manner that would bring attention to themselves out in public, just praying and using the biggest, longest, most complicated words that they could ever find. Example might be they would be praying in a PhD, knowing every detail of everything, all, all, all the information. They would let you know that they know it all. And then you had the second group that talks about here, and that was the pagans. And these Gentile pagans, for whatever reason, had this understanding that when they would go to their temples, to their gods, that they would have to draw on for time after time, hours upon hours, to basically annoy the gods to the moment that the gods would be like, fine, if you just shut your mouth, I will just give you whatever you want. And I don't know where this came from or what it understood, but but these pagans would just draw on. Someone might say they would be um, bloated prayers or gassy prayers, as I read one scholar writing about this, that they were just in a manner that was like just drawing out word after word after word after word. And so Jesus here is actually combating those of those who lived in Israel and Jerusalem this time, what they would understand as prayer. Are there the elite that were highly educated that a common person wouldn't be able to associate with? Or the other type, the pagans, who would have to spend hours upon hours upon hours in the temple just saying words for the sake of saying words? And Jesus here is letting a tone and setting the standard that this isn't how to pray. This is in no manner the way that Jesus wants us to pray, that God himself, the creator of the universe, who created prayer, intended prayer for our relationship, for it to be even played out in this manner. I think these are still true today. We have people who maybe you have heard know how to pray in King James Version. Oh, thouest, lordest, greatest, everest, lordest. We thank thee for thouest blessings upon blessings. O Lord, greatest upon greatest. O Lord, heavenly thou's these, this, this, this. They, 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 they think that praying in this way gets God's attention because it shows them, oh, I am elite. I only use King James Version as the only true version of the Bible. And then you have those who, who use the word God every three words in a prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you, Jesus, for this day, Lord Jesus. God, thank you, Heavenly Father, Jesus. God, we, we come before you, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Lord God. Holy Spirit, the Savior of the Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus. God, we thank thou, Lord Jesus, God. Jesus saw that and said that's nothing different than the pagans in the temple just drawing out these words after words. But we find this in ourselves, don't we? I'm guilty of it. 
I, I, I've at times tried to, to spend time in prayer and, and catch myself maybe using God's name a few extra times. Can you imagine that in a relationship? My wife, I go talk to her. Hey, Lauren, um, babe, I just want to know you're the greatest wife. Thanks, babe, for Lauren. You're the best. Um, Lauren, my love, you're the best, babe. You're f- Thank you, babe, Lauren. You're, you're the greatest mom. Thanks for being my, my wife, my friend, my spouse, my confidant. Do we talk like that? No. Do, do we talk in a language that is flowery beyond us, ourselves, with our friends or our spouse or our family? No. We talk in a way that's just a normal conversation. And the Lord's prayer here is setting us in that tone because it's taking what would be this flowery language from the, the hypocrite, the religious hypocrites, and, and smashing it down to regular people words. And then it's taking those that were drawn out, these big bloated or, or gassy prayers. I love saying it like that down to something that's got a little bit of gas X in it, that there, there's a little bit of something less in here. And, 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 and I look at this and I go, man, what does, what does Jesus want us to learn here in this prayer? What does this mean for us? Because Jesus here, and, and actually over in Luke chapter 11, is recorded as well this moment of Jesus saying, and the disciples actually asked Jesus, how, how do we pray? And Jesus says, basically, when you pray, do this. And that's what it says here in this prayer. It says, basically, in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. The translation is basically, pray thusly. So Jesus here essentially is telling us, whenever we pray, pray this. Pray these exact words to God. Now, can maybe we get a little creative with it? Maybe add in some extra stuff in there? Absolutely. We serve a God who is a creative God. You ever seen a platypus? I think God is super creative. So I'm not saying if we don't pray these words, we don't unlock the magic for the genie and rub the lamp just right and God won't give us the stuff. No, no. What I'm saying is that Jesus specifically gave us these words for a reason. And he says here that this is how you should pray. And, and setting a structure, or, or I say like a foundation and like forms, and you're like building a house, like you start with the foundation and you start with the framing. You don't just try to throw a bathtub in the middle of a, a dirt lot and go, hope we figure this thing out. No, there's a process to it. You start with a foundation. You build the outsides that supports the roof, and then you build upon that. And this is what the Lord's Prayer is. And so it starts in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right off the bat, the very beginning is about God. Not just any God, not just a God or, or one of those gods, the God. It brings our focus and attention to number one, God the Father, creator of all, the Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the end, everything that is, but it also gives us understanding of Jesus's relationship to God. That Jesus is the son of God, that he 
respects and shows honor to God the Father. It also draws on the Jewish understanding of the Old Testament. If you guys read through the Old Testament, you remember one of the commands is that says, you will not have any other gods before me. God is God. You might have heard it said, God is Yahweh. God is the ultimate God. And in that, you cannot take the Lord's name in vain. And I think for us, that for a basic in society and culture, we don't say, oh my gosh. We don't say it like that. We respect who God is. We show reverence to him. But it's more than that. It's not saying that you can't utter the name of God that some of the Jewish people believed in, and that's why you read in the scriptures, you hear Yahweh spelled without any vowels, Y-W-Y-H-W-H, because they were too even afraid to utter the name of God. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, say the name of God who God is, but say it in a manner that is respectful. You're showing reverence for God. And it puts us in our right place. It reminds us here, even in the first line, that God is God, but we're not. Society wants to tell us that we can be our own God. We can control other people. We can climb to the top of the ladder. We can have the influence over others if we have enough money, have enough fame, hold the right position in the right house or location or government or whatever you say, you, you can get to the top and you can be your own God. Jesus here is saying, no, you are not God. Sorry to break it to you this morning, guys. I know it's not what you want to come here to say, to be said to you, to hear this, but God is God and we are not. And Jesus knows this. And he sets this in the way of this word, hallowed. I always thought this was a strange word. I don't know if you guys thought. I think it's something that's hollow. There's nothing inside. Someone's like, is God empty? Is there nothing inside? No. But the word hallow actually means honor, sanctify, set apart, treat with the highest respect. This first line of the Lord's Prayer is actually a request that God, who is God, that Jesus understands full well that we do not yet to bring into existence for all to understand that who God is. You guys tracking? Does that make sense? That God who is God, number one, would bring the understanding, the hallowedness of him, the sanctity of him, the reverence of he, God being God, would be God. Because like Pastor Andre said last week, we get this idea that God's kingdom doesn't make sense. It seems upside down. But this first prayer in this Lord's prayer is actually saying that we in the upside down world and society would understand that God's kingdom is right side up and we are upside down. Because God is God and we are not. Jesus is asking here for revival to come, to God to act, that he would allow what is happening in heaven, in God's kingdom, his hallowed kingdom, would come here on earth. Which leads us into the next part. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, pointing back to God and his perfective 
perfectedness, his greatness, his, his superiority of the heavenly kingdom would come down here and be as it is in heaven. That the heavenly condition would come here on earth. This prayer is asking for God's perfect kingdom to be manifested here on earth. Allowing God's will to be the right upside kingdom. Instead of the upside down kingdom that we live in in our world today. He continues on. But give us our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer here kind of takes a bit of a shift. It moves from talking about you being God up here and a petition to that to us petitions, to we. It's saying here that the connect between God's kingdom and our kingdom is making known and stating the reality that he is the source of all of our needs. That, that we are to give to others. And that everything in our life is actually grounded in God's kingdom. I always thought this was the interesting part in the prayer as a kid growing up in the church. Because I'm like, what's this bread? What, what kind of bread is God talking about here? Is this like a sandwich? Are these like crackers? Is this like a French loaf? Like at the store we can go buy? Is this communion? What, what, what kind of bread is, is this daily bread? What does it mean? Jesus here is reminding us of our physical limitations. Reminding us that we don't have it all figured out. Reminding us that even that we think we have an understanding that we're somehow in control, that we have it all together, that there is a daily need for God. And at the same time, Jesus is drawing back on the time of those of, Israel, uh, of Jewish descent would remember when their ancestors were in the desert wandering. And that even in the midst of the desert where there was no food, there was no water, there was no nothing around them, God provided in miraculous ways every single day. You guys remember the story of the quail and the manna? I, I remember these stories and I think they're fairy tales because they seem so far, far-fetched at times. But the reality was that for a certain time where the Israelites were in the desert, God would provide, when they would wake up in the morning, bread just around them in their camp and quail for them to catch to eat. And that was every single day they would wake up, there would be bread and there would be meat and they would be able to feed themselves and sustain life. I think quail, I go, oh, it's kind of a delicacy. You have quail every day for year after year after year. A rock or a pine cone sounds like more of a delicacy than quail. But what was interesting about this is that if after the Israelite people would go out and they would gather this food for that day, Moses instructed them, don't take more than you need just for the day people would start to try to gather a couple extra loaves, maybe a couple extra quail, just go like, you know what? I'm going to sleep in tomorrow, God. I don't need to wake up right in the morning and go out. It'll just be here ready to go. 
they would wake up and they would find this stuff moldy, rotten, gross, and basically unedible. And they would then have to wake up and go out and gather every single day. Why? Because God wanted to show them who is in charge. Who's really God and who is not. And even though that God was providing them with a miracle, he wanted them to be reminded on daily dependence upon him. And so Jesus here is saying, give us our daily bread. God, I pray that you would give us exactly what we need every single day. Not what we want, not what we hope for, not that we dream about or we wish or we desire to have, but what we need to sustain ourselves. I got some more bad news for you guys this morning. Awesome sermon here loaded with bad news. Being a disciple of Jesus does not guarantee you have the cushy savings account. Does not mean that it comes with the extra in our pantries every single week. Does not mean that life is, is cruising and coasting and everything is good to go. But what it does guarantee is that a life as a disciple of Jesus means that our daily needs are always taken care of. Did you guys catch that part in there at the beginning where Jesus says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The creator of the universe, the God almighty, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the one sitting on the throne in heaven knows exactly what you need today. And he'll give it to you. He will give you exactly what you need every single day when we choose to say yes to God. And that is the prayer here for a daily reminder, a daily dependence on Jesus for our needs. Because this leads into a place about God's sovereignty and caring for us and providing it leads into this idea of worry and anxiety and, and, and thinking about tomorrow and, and, and next week and, and the day after that and, and the day after that, the day after that going, God, I, what, what about that stuff, God? God says, no, no, today, right here, right now, this moment, I got you. And when we look back on our life and, and remember here in this just short little line in the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded of his faithfulness. We're reminded of how he showed up when we didn't think it was going to work out. How he provided for us in a way that we didn't see coming because he's got our back. That when we thought all hope was lost, God's kingdom showed up in our lives. Give us our daily bread. Because I'll guarantee you, the more I've lived life, the short amount that I've been in this world, that I would trade away all the money, all the finances, all the stuff, all the materials, all the, 
the, the, the perfect tomorrow, knowing that I'm living in God's perfect will today. Every single day. How's it go? And twice on Sunday. Right? And if you've ever experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That nothing compares to being taken care of by God every single day. He continues on, forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. We finally get to an easy part of this prayer, right? That was a joke. You can laugh at that. It's okay. No, this, this prayer just starts to get harder. Jesus here is saying, I need you and you have to forgive others. Wait, time out. What do you mean I have to forgive others? This part here actually is directly correlated to verses 14 and 15 that says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wait, hold on. Time out. I thought this God love forgiveness thing was just unconditional. I mean, when was the last time you heard this preached in a church? Yes, God's love is truly unconditional. There's no strings attached. There's no way we can earn it. There's nothing we can do to make it better. Chris showed this video this morning in, in Sunday school class. I was talking about this way of us trying to earn and these people coming up to heaven and they're sitting on the scale, handing in their resumes of life. And some of these are fat resumes of bad stuff that they've done, but, but, but they were good people. They, they went and they did work in Africa and, and they cared for others and, and they, they, they gave money to the poor people on the street and, and they didn't say any bad words. And the scale every time just goes, errnt, failed, errnt, failed, errnt, failed. And then this person walks up with a really fat stack and it doesn't look good. And he's, and he's looking okay. Not nervous like the rest of the other people, but he's looking okay. And he walks up and hands in this, his stack and they're looking at St. Peter or whoever this person is, the gatekeeper of heaven is looking at and going, oh, this does not look good. There's no way. The person over there that had barely anything in their file failed. How do you think you're going to make it? And then this guy walks up and hands him a paper and says, it's paid for. And they say, okay. And he stands on the scale and it goes, ding. And this guy who we know is Jesus, puts his arm around him and basically walks him into heaven and says, it's all taken care of. When we read that, we see that, we hear that, we think, oh, this is great. This is forgiveness for me. But for you, ain't no chance. I'm good. You're not. And Jesus here is saying, it is so important that rooted in God's kingdom is forgiveness. Not just forgiveness for us, but forgiveness for others. That this idea of whether we like it or not, there is of utter importance in God's kingdom on forgiveness. And it's contingent on us forgiving others Receiving God's forgiveness. 
Now, let me explain this before I go further and you think I'm, I'm preaching heresy up here. Here's what I'm saying. God has graciously forgiven us of what I would say are most likely greater sins or a greater amount of sin than what anybody has ever done to us ourselves. Therefore, we are to forgive others to extend God's grace. Because sorry, it's not about us. And if we don't forgive others, as we who are not forgiven, because the reality is that forgiven people forgive others. Forgiven people forgive others. You want to write down something, one thing to take away from today, write that down. That'll change your life. But our forgiveness does not earn God's forgiveness. So the reality is, if we truly say we are forgiven people, then we have to extend that forgiveness to others as well. And if we don't, it calls into question if we're truly forgiven. You guys hear what I'm saying? Some heavy stuff here, I know. But Jesus here is teaching this, this kingdom perspective on how to deal with those in our lives that have hurt us. Since the kingdom of God is a world of reconciliation, kingdom people are to forgive. Forgiveness is the only way the kingdom of living works. Jesus finishes up this section and says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus here is showing us that the character of God and, and what is really happening at a greater level around us. I don't know if you guys have heard the term spiritual warfare, but I think in our world, in our society, and in our, in our Americanness, I guess I'll say, we, we sometimes can forget what's actually happening around us. That the reality is that there is so much going on around us. And this idea of, is God testing us? Is, is he the one that's leading us to this temptation or this testing? And who is this evil one? The reality is that this is not about God leading us to temptation or trying to set us up to fail that sometimes we can get caught in our mind. But it's really this idea of a prayer about God's protection over us. That in this situation, we focus on God rescuing us, that he does not lead to the temptation or the testing. See, this word lead here really means to rescue, which really doubles down on this idea of deliverance or being preservance. I'm always reminded of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, says no temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This petition in the Lord's Prayer here is a request about God preserving us or saving us or rescuing us from sin and temptation. This isn't God leading us to this temptation, but this idea that God is protecting us from what is going to happen. See, the reality is that it's going to happen. 
See, when you take on the name of Jesus on your life, you then get marked with a target on your back from the one who doesn't like that. His name's the devil. And he doesn't want you to stay in this relationship with God and will do everything that he can to throw you off. He'll try to knock you down. He'll try to pull you back. He'll try to distract you. He'll try to tempt you. He'll try to pull you into a dark, dark place so that you don't even can't understand what is happening around you. And I know some of you have been a part of spiritual warfare and have, have seen things. And the reality is that it's around us. And I'm not trying to scare you guys this morning, but I want to remind us in our world that we can get caught in this fantasy that it's just this little red dude with the pointy tail and a pitchfork. It's not that big of a deal, but the reality is it is a big deal. And Jesus thinks it's such a big deal that he takes it and puts it in with the Lord's Prayer with just a few verses. I think this should draw our attention for us to realize what is happening. First Peter reminds us in this that says, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus knew what was at stake here. And that in his short, limited prayer, he was going to take time to bring to reality what is going on around us. There is so much more at stake than we realize. So when we look at this Lord's Prayer in its entirety, I believe it all points to something bigger. That the reason of this prayer is not to left, leave us to just be out there making the like prayer requests or wish lists to God and hoping that he would just magically do something for us. But that this Lord prayer takes us in and leads us into a place of remembering who God is, that we are not God, and that everything that we have in life is from him because of him and for him. That it's all about God's kingdom, even while we're here still on earth. And when I pray this prayer, it brings me back into alignment to who God is, and it changes me. Just like Jesus talks about here, fasting in the next section. That this idea of fasting sometimes in our mind when I was a kid was thinking about trying to manipulate or change God by showing God I was so serious I wouldn't eat food. But that's not what fasting is. Fasting is more of this time of, of taking, removing something that's prominent in our life and allowing more God to show up in our life. Maybe it's food, maybe it's internet, maybe it's a break from social media, maybe it's from personal shopping, maybe it's from, I don't know, you fill in the list of something that's big in your life. If you were to remove that and add Jesus in the place of it, it says something. And it's not about us showing God how religiously elite we are, like the Jewish people were doing in that day, because they had come to a point where they were fasting twice a week just to show that they were fasting. Just like their prayers on the corners were to show how amazing they were. Yeah, no, I'm not going without food today. I'm pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I don't eat food. I'm a special one in the eyes of God, Yahweh. I'm pretty cool. I don't even get hungry. 
drink some water. I'm good to go. Oh, you drink water? I heard Bill over here doesn't even drink water. What? Okay, next Thursday, no water for me. I'm going to be like Bill. No. Jesus said, stop it. It's ridiculous. He said, prayer and fasting is about bringing us into alignment with God and changing us. The times that I fasted for different reasons in different seasons, I'll tell you most of the time I didn't get what I was looking for. But in the end, what I thought what I was looking for wasn't what God was looking for. What God was looking for was God wanted to change me. And then in that season of practicing a spiritual discipline, a prayer and fasting, God changed me. And I think that's what this section is all about, is allowing God to come into our lives, to change us, to open a divine door into who God is and allow him and his kingdom to come here into our lives right now in this moment. That's what this is about. I don't know about you, but I can't go a day without needing God's divinity. I can't go a moment, it seems like. Sometimes. I can't even wait to try to get to bedtime because I need God's outpouring into my life. Sorry, I don't have it all figured out. I know it's backwards. The dude up front talking and supposed to be sharing all this wisdom doesn't have it figured out. I don't. But I know who does. That's God. And I daily depend on him to take care of it. And Jesus here is saying, God is God. We are not. So I want to close with us this morning. If you would stand, I want to say the Lord's Prayer together. I think that's a fitting way for us to close out before some worship. But I want us to vocally, loud, out loud, all together, sharing with your neighbor. I want you to hear the person next to you because I want us to pray this together this morning. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, God, from the evil one. Thanks for listening. And if you would, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an encouraging review to help others find our podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll catch you next week.